Well, good morning. We are in week number five of a six-part series. Only one more week of this to endure after this week. You have almost made it. I'm trying to pass on to you something that I have been trying to learn from the experts. I am no expert in this, doing my best to pass it on to you as accurately as possible because I think it will be as meaningful for you as it has been for me. There are some universal truths couple of those are. One, God has designed you for connection, and that's why I brought this out this morning. This is uh, 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 figuring, this is my hand holding uh, Chloe's hand, my youngest child. It's me, and that's representing this morning connection, a universal truth. God has designed you and me for connection, all the way back to creation Part of his original design for you is connectedness, connection. But also, since the fall, which also goes all the way back soon after creation, there's another now universal truth, and that is we all battle shame. And that's why over here I've got this broken cup, and this broken cup with these pieces represents the brokenness of shame. And you can kind of think of it, I brought out this 1968 super stereo here and and for for our for our youngins this is what radio these were this is what a radio used to look like it's got this dial thing and all along these dials are numbers and let's assume this is like a spectrum here on one end we have connection, that's the way God has designed you, but on the other end of this spectrum, all the way over here, we have shame, and we all battle shame. In fact, our ego inside of us, if it picks up any hint of possible shame, our ego goes full armor, which is right over here. It goes full armor. It shields up, and we even grab our weapons and we are ready if our ego picks up any hint of you are less than, which is, means shame. If our ego picks up any hint of you are unworthy, then we go full armor. It takes this armor, puts it on, and our ego feels like by putting on all this armor and picking up these weapons, it feels like our ego feels like it is protecting us from disconnection. So if this is connection, all the way other the other end of this spectrum is disconnection, which is driven by shame. And our ego says, if I get a hint of shame, because I fear disconnection, I fear the feeling of I am less than or I am unworthy, I'm going to armor up and protect me, protect myself from disconnection and shame. But here's the problem. Our ego thinks it's protecting us from disconnection, but the reality is our ego, by armoring up, is guaranteeing disconnection. That is the reality. It seems like there's this master emotion, kind of like the Lord of the Rings, one ring to rule them all. It seems like there's this master emotion, one emotion that rules them all, one emotion that is more powerful than them all, and that is the emotion of shame. In a sense, it does 
overpower all the other emotions. The other emotions can't seem to touch the intensity, the power of the emotion of shame. It's that emotion that tells you and tells me, you are not good enough and you will never be good enough. And it's that emotion that floods into our lives in a matter of seconds. And the mere thought of that emotion of shame leads us to run away from the very arena, the relationship arena that we've been talking about the previous four weeks. It's the thought and the fear of that emotion, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, that causes us to run away from the arena and to to not be willing to be vulnerable as we step into that arena. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. And it leads us to run away. Shame. We all have it. Except for that one small segment of our society that we are told lacks the capacity to connect with other people. 5% of our population is labeled as either a psychopath or a sociopath. They do not have the ability to connect with other people, but everyone else, the other 95% of our society, has that ability, and we all share that one thing. We share shame, every one of us. And we also, most of us, share this. We are afraid to talk about our shame. And the less we talk about it, the more power shame has in our lives. You see, God has hardwired us for connections. And shame gives us the fear that we will never make it to being connected with other people the way we want to be. And it's because of something we have done. And shame because of something we have not done. And, it, and we have that feeling that that makes us unworthy to be connected to other people. Shame is that feeling that somehow we are flawed, we are unworthy, and we don't deserve belonging or connection with other people. Shame drives two big thoughts in our heads. The thought that says you will never be good enough, and if you do try to make improvements, it's the thought that says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And when we hear either of those two voices in our minds, it forces us to put on the armor. And any time you force something on, guess what? More pieces of you get broken when you try to force on the armor. Another thing happens after we put on that armor. Man, my arm's getting really tired of pointing at that armor. <laughs> one more week, one more week. Another thing happens as we put on that armor. Underneath that heavy armor that we have crafted since we were children, underneath that heavy, humid, hot, damp armor, a fungus is growing. And that is the fungus of fear. The fungus of blame. It's the fungus of shame and disconnection. You know, when you go to a doctor, that doctor 
ask you questions so that you can tell your physician, you can name the pain. You can tell them what hurts, what is physically going on, because that pain for you is real. And you have to explain that pain, you have to talk about that pain, where it hurts, when it hurts, so that hopefully that doctor, <coughs> excuse me, can help you identify it. They can help you by treating the pain you're able to describe to them. Now, neuroscience today has shown us that the emotions you feel actually cause in your life real pain. And if we're going to get out from underneath that kind of emotional pain, just like physical pain, we're going to have to learn how to describe the pain we're feeling emotionally and how to talk about that pain. And it is much, much more difficult than describing physical pain because shame is involved with our emotional pain. And shame gets its power from our silence. Shame is not the same as guilt. We talked about this, I think, maybe in week number one. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. I am bad. You know, guilt can actually do something good for us. Now, we don't like guilt. It, it is uncomfortable. But guilt can actually drive us toward another person. To, where, to the point where we will ask them for forgiveness and we will go and make amends. So pain can actually drive us towards somebody, but not shame. Shame always drives us away from connections and away from other people. And anything that's helpful, shame drives us away from that. You know what? By the time you recognize, and I recognize, that I have shame in my life. By the time we recognize it, it's like termites. They have been there a long time by the time you can see them. By the time you recognize that's the problem. It's been going on a long time and by the time you see it, it's really bad. Shame in our life is the source of power, the energy source for perfectionism, for favoritism. Shame is the power source for gossiping and power struggles, for comparison, for people-pleasing, for harassing. It's for uh, the, the energy source behind discrimination, power trips, bullying, blaming, cover-ups, and I could go on and on. But to begin to leave this world of shame, it's going to take on our parts courage. It's very interesting, courage, that word, it comes from an ancient word that means the heart of your emotions, the heart of your feelings, the emotional feeling center of who you are. That's where that word courage comes from. And that is so interesting because it takes courage to talk about those feelings. To talk about those emotions, it takes real courage to do that. 
those deepest feelings that are driving our lives, it takes courage to tell someone else our story that revolves around those feelings. And if we're going to tell someone our story, or if they are going to tell us their story, we have to create this safe environment that we in this series have been calling the arena, the relationship arena. We have to create a safe environment where they can tell us their story of shame. Sharing our stories, talking about our shame, it takes enormous power away from shame. And as long as we care about making a connection with someone else, and according to the Bible, we are going to care about that the rest of our lives because it's hardwired. As long as we care about connecting to other people, disconnection will always be a powerful force in our lives. And it, this creates a vicious circle. You see, we want to connect with people. We desire to connect with people. But we are afraid. We're afraid of shame. Which says to us, you don't deserve to connect with them. And so that leads us to put on our armor and to pick up our weapons. Because we think we're protecting ourselves from shame and from disconnection, but the result of putting on that armor is that we take this armor, this piece specifically, and we put that on, and you know what we have done when we put on that armor? We lock inside of our thinking, inside of our minds, we lock in shame and the voice of shame into our minds. And then we put on this other armor. And in putting that on, then we lock other people out of our lives. And so, the more armor we have, the more disconnection we have. And the very thing that we thought was protecting us, turns out, is against us. Shame is always the enemy of connecting. Therefore, it would make sense to me that if shame is always the enemy of connecting, that connecting must be a big part of the cure for shame. And you know how it turns out? That's exactly the way God designed it. Now I'm going to read some verses and let these sink very deeply into your heart. It's how God designed it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul, by the way. Paul, whose passage we're using as the springboard for this whole series, when Paul says, listen, listen, there is a better way to live. A better way to live. This is part of that better way. Here's what Paul says. All praise to God, the Father, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could pause here and talk about God, our Father. We'll talk about that in our next series a little bit. He says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now, that comfort's going to be important to us. Let's keep going, though. He goes on. He says, He comforts us in all of our troubles. So in all of our hurts, all of our problems, all of our emotional difficulties, all of our pain, He comforts others in our troubles so that we can comfort others. He said, so He comforts us so we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, those others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that He has given us. Now let's pause here for just a moment. So that leads me to ask a question about this word comfort. What is this comfort that God gives us? We go on. Let's go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. The, the writer in Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest, now this is talking about Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That's a Another way to say, we have a high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses and our struggles. He goes on. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. He has gone through everything we have gone through. He's gone through. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He goes on. And so because of this, let us then... Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this comfort that has been given to us so that we can give that comfort to others that is best described by the words used by the writer in Hebrews, that is best described as the word empathy. The comfort he has given us so that we can give others. Empathy is all about moving from shame to connecting. And guess what? God has given us the tool that we need to move from shame to empathy. He's given us that tool. That tool is called empathy. From shame, I think I just said empathy, but from shame to connecting. And that tool is empathy. So think about it like this. So here we have a 1968 radio. Let's assume this radio only plays two stations. It plays connectedness on this end, and on this other end it plays shame. There's only one way to get from this station to this station. There's a little dial. So I don't know if you're familiar with the old style radios. It's not digital. It's a dial. And there's a little bitty bar here. It's orange. It's right there. And as I move this dial, it moves closer this direction. See that? There's only one way to get from this station to this station. I can't talk to it and say, hey, move. I can't. No, I got to turn this dial right here. And you know what this dial represents? The one way to get from this station to this station, from shame to connectedness, this dial is empathy. One way, empathy. We think shame. We think the opposite of shame is self-esteem because, you know, this shame is saying, 
you're not worthy. You know, you're, you're a disaster. You're unworthy. You're not worthy. And so we think the opposite of shame is self-esteem, which would say, hey, guess what? You're great. You're worthy. You're, you're okay. But no, that's not. It turns out the opposite of shame is not self-esteem. The opposite of shame is connection. Shame leads to disconnection. The opposite of shame is connection. And in order to get from shame to connection, we have to use this dial right here. And we have to turn up empathy. Where shame lives, there is no empathy. If we share our story with someone and they respond to us by turning up empathy, shame cannot survive. Shame dies. If that's what they do. And because shame is a social concept. Shame is a social concept that leaves you broken. And it says this. You are too broken for people to love you. You're too broken to connect with other people. You are too broken. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve connections. That's a social concept. You don't deserve to be connected. Then it makes sense that shame needs a social medicine. And God provides it. It is called empathy. Now, empathy is not the same thing as sympathy. Sympathy is just acting like you're concerned. Sympathy is just giving advice. Sympathy is just offering pity for somebody. So what is the difference between empathy and sympathy? Because so often we substitute sympathy thinking that's going to help get them out of shame. We substitute sympathy when it's actually empathy that drives connection. So let's talk just a moment about sympathy which drives disconnection and empathy which drives connection. A nurse wrote a, a, an article in a, in a professional publication. And she described, here's really the four parts of empathy. And I think we can relate to this, uh, uh, even on a, a Christian level. She said, empathy contains really four parts. Here's the first part that needs to be present for something to be empathetic. It's the ability for, for someone to see the world as another person is seeing the world. It doesn't mean you're saying that their view of the world is correct or right. Nothing to do with that at all. It's just being able to see the world from their perspective in that moment. And then it's being able to stay away from judgment, which means we're not saying, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. No, no, we're just in that moment with them, seeing from their perspective. And then the third part is we need to recognize specific emotions that that person uh, is experiencing. 
We need to recognize what those emotions are that that person is experiencing. And then the fourth thing, very important, we need to be able to communicate to that person that we recognize the emotions that they are experiencing. And guess what? I have felt those emotions too. I have felt them as well. Empathy is feeling with people. Now, one researcher describes this empathy, sympathy thing this way. It's as if somebody is in a deep, dark hole. They've fallen into a pit. And they shout up to the surface. They, they say, I'm stuck. Hey, is, is there anyone out there? I'm stuck. It is dark in here. It is dark and I'm scared. And if we dial in with empathy, they are in a serious state of shame and disconnect. But if we can dial in with empathy, we'll climb down into that dark place and we will say to them, I know what it's like down here. And you are not alone. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. And when we say that with our actions, you know what's happening? It's like we're turning on a small light in that dark pit so that they can see, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Whereas sympathy, sympathy just looks over into the pit Oh my, yeah, that's bad. You're right, that's bad. Want to go to the Chinese buffet? That's sympathy. Empathy is the vulnerable choice because in order for you to connect... I have to connect with something inside of myself that knows that feeling that you're experiencing down in that dark place in that pit. Rarely, if ever, does empathy begin with the phrase, well, at least... You see, sympathy tries to go over here and sugarcoat what you're experiencing in your dark place. That's sympathy. It tries to sugarcoat it. It tries to get you in your dark place to see things the way you see things. It tries to get you to see life from your perspective. In other words, you say, I think my relationship is falling apart. But sympathy says... Well, at least you're handsome, and you have a good job, and someone out there is going to appreciate you. You say, my father died. And sympathy says, well, at least he's in a better place. You say, I had a miscarriage. Well, at least you can, at least you can try again. I think John is cheating on me. Well, at least you're going to get the kids. My child died. 
at least you had 18 years of memories with her. I got laid off. Oh, at least you can file for unemployment. Jack is sick. At least it's not cancer. Jill has cancer. Well, at least you caught it early. You see, we try to make things better by what we say, but it does not make things better. Empathy does not try to make things better. Empathy tries to make you feel not alone. Rather than trying to make things better by what we say, we are in the experience with them. And you don't even have to know what to say. It might even be better for you to say, I have no idea what to say right now. I'm just glad you shared that with me. Rarely can a response make something better. Empathy is connection. But you know, we have a tendency to be very stingy with our connection. It's as if we think that empathy is like a bag of chips. That it's finite. That we have a certain amount of empathy. It is finite. And when I use empathy and pass it out to you, then I may not have enough left. If I use it up over here and over here, then what happens when I need it later and I've run out? That's the way we view empathy. So we're often stingy with our empathy. But empathy is not finite. Empathy, turns out, is infinite. And it's renewable. The more we use, the more we have. And that means there is no pain from someone else that you encounter that cannot have empathy lavished upon it. Because the more you use, the more you have. There's no need to be stingy with our empathy. There's no need to ration it out. And remember, In those bad moments, it is not our job to make things better. Rather, it is our job to connect and to try to see the world at that moment as they are seeing the world. And it's not even connecting to the specific experience that that person has. You don't have to have had cancer. You don't have to have had a spouse that cheated on you or a child who died. Rather, anybody can have empathy. Anyone can have empathy because it is you connecting with a similar emotion, not the experience behind the emotion. If you have ever felt the emotion, no matter what experience caused it in your life, if you've ever had the emotion, you are qualified to be empathetic. If you have ever felt abandoned 
or helpless, or if you've ever been in grief, or ever been in despair, or ashamed, or resentful, or confused, or embarrassed, or lonely, or panicked, any of those things, overwhelmed, heartbroken, and I can go on and on because I've got a list of 800 emotions. If you've ever had any one of those for any reason, you are qualified to empathize. Sometimes we refuse to be empathetic because it makes us so vulnerable to have to connect with our own feelings and our own emotions. Empathy is the vulnerable choice because of this, because we are choosing to connect with that same feeling, that same emotion that we have had at one time inside of our own lives. And in that moment, if we turn up empathy, it makes us vulnerable because we have to feel that again. And we would rather stay disconnected. We would rather just come over here and try to fix their problem. We would rather come over here and just give them advice so that we don't have to connect with those feelings in us. We would rather tell them what to do. But that is not empathy. We must be with them in their darkness. We must not race over to them and switch on the light because it makes us more comfortable. A response by us can rarely make things better. The only thing that can lessen their shame and increase connection is for us just to be with them. Because it is connection that God has given us that heals. Now let me give you a clarification. This is very, very important. Empathy is not jumping into the hole with someone and allowing their issues to become my issues. That is not empathy. That is enmeshment. Jumping into that hole with them and allowing their issues to become my issues, that is codependency. That is not empathy. If you do that, then you just have now two people stuck in a pit, and it is not helpful. So boundaries are important. We have to know where we end and the other person begins. If we're going to show up with empathy, boundaries are important. In empathy, we feel, yes, but we feel our own feelings. Not theirs. We don't own their feelings. We own our own feelings. We feel ours. We don't take their worries and make them our worries. We don't try to fix them. If we do, we're going to get stuck in the pit with them. We're not going to explain them into a better place. We're not going to take um, 
them and help them see life from our perspective. A better, if you'll just see it this way, a better perspective. Look at it this way. No. We're not going to show them how they can fix how they feel. The only right way is to become empathetic, to turn up that dial of empathy, to move from shame to connection. And the only way to do that with empathy is to show up and listen up. To recognize whatever emotion they have. We have felt that emotion too. What they need in this moment is connection. And that will be a step toward killing their shame. And we're simply going to ask you to do this this week. Will you look for opportunities in your relationships with your family, your friends, people at work? When someone shows up with pain, will you look for an opportunity to dial up empathy? Show up with empathy. Give them the blessing of you being with them. And try to listen to understand from their perspective. Stay away from judgment. Don't judge them. Just listen. Recognize whatever emotion they are feeling. Try to recognize that. And then try to communicate to them this. Don't try to fix it. Try to communicate that emotion that you're feeling. I have felt that too. You don't even need to tell them how or when you felt it. Just let them know that you recognize you have felt that way too, which says this, you are not alone. Let's help people move from shame to connection. Why in the world would we do that? Because as Paul said, God has comforted you right when you needed it. How did He comfort you? He met your life not with judgment. He met your life with empathy. And now, may we go kill some shame with empathy this week. Let's pray. God, Paul said, all praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God, you are our merciful Father. You are our source of all comfort. And you have comforted us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. God, when they are troubled, may we give them the same comfort, God, that you have given us. Because we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us in our weaknesses because you have been tempted in every way. Let us approach your throne, Jesus. And there may we find the grace and the confidence so that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, no matter what we have done, 
no matter what we have experienced in this life. It is your empathy, your empathy, that has driven us to the cross. And you, because of that, you still call us daughters. You still call us sons. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen.